May may these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to You, Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. Amen. So when you pray, you should pray like this. Our Father in Heaven, May your name always be kept holy. May your kingdom come and what you want be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the food we need for each day. Forgive us our sins just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And do not cause us to be tempted, but save us from the evil one. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours forever. Amen. Let's pray this prayer together, if you will stand. Our Father in heaven. May your name always be kept holy. May your kingdom come and what you want be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the food we need for each day. Forgive us for our sins just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And do not cause us to be tempted, but save us from the evil one. For the kingdom the power, and the glory are yours forever. Amen. Be seated. Randy recently was preaching a sermon series called Rethinking Church. And uh, that got me thinking about Rethinking Church. As a former preacher and pastor and minister for many years, uh, I have broached that subject many times. How do we grow numerically? Is that really the point? How do we grow spiritually? Are those two things mutually exclusive? And yet, it's something that we've always struggled with. How how does it work? What is the point? Can we grow? What, What does that even mean, to grow? Is it about reframing or restructuring the activities that we do here on Sunday, and I think we we know that that's not really what we're talking about. We want people to be captivated. If we want our hearts to be transformed, we want to fall in love with our Lord. We want to be transformed through the renewal of our minds. We know this. I know this. Sometimes I don't know this. I want to talk today about prayer, what I think might help us lead to greater transformation, greater growth. I want to talk about contemplative prayer, words that maybe you're familiar with, like the term Lectio Divina, 
I don't want us to get caught up in language and the terms and does that sound too high church and liturgical? But simply thinking through a way of praying or a way of reading these words that bring life to us, bring potentially transformation. And as I talk about these things, I don't want it to feel as though I am preaching at you or teaching you all the things that I know that you don't know, because I'm learning as well. The distractions of life get to me just as they get to you. But I simply want to share some of the thoughts that I've had over the last few years as I've exited ministry in a formal, professional way. And I've re-entered ministry in a different way. I actually work as a hospital chaplain at Cox Health. And I pray this prayer daily. People that are not very religious, not very spiritual, they see me and they see my badge that says chaplain, whatever they think that might mean. They see this opportunity to connect with God and sometimes they ask me to pray this prayer. And by the way, if you're going to recite the prayer, I usually go King James Version because you get to the, the forgive us our sins or trespasses and then you end up flip, you know, tripping up on each other. But these are thoughts that I've had and um, the meditations of my heart. So I would like to, to share some thoughts with you. What if, we, what if we committed to praying this prayer regularly? repetitively, in a non-redundant repetition. I like that, non-redundant. Because I think some things just get redundant. You can go to church, and you can sing the same songs, and you can pray the same prayers, and you can read the same scripture, and it can become stale and old. That's why a lot of us uh, maybe have some suspicion about liturgy. It just feels like something rote that we just do. Shouldn't prayer, shouldn't our thoughts be innovative and new? Shouldn't they be original? Shouldn't they just come naturally from our hearts? I actually had a man at our church that told me that he was instructed to not pray the Lord's Prayer which I thought that was really bizarre. But it comes from a tradition in which I'm part of that has a great suspicion of anything that smells of liturgy, anything that sounds a little too high church. It should just come naturally, prayer. When they told me that, I was thinking in my heart, boy, I wish prayer came naturally to me. And I actually take great comfort in knowing that this prayer when you look at it in Luke's version, it's actually the disciples that are seeing Jesus pray and they're like, Jesus, teach me to do what you do. And he says, so when you pray, pray like this. Now the structure of the prayer can be used as a guide, as a model, but I also think they can be words that we utter because they are the words that our Lord uttered. So are there things that do stand in our way, things that keep us maybe from going deeper into this prayerful, contemplative act of prayer? 
As I mentioned, tradition, our tradition doesn't really practice it this way, although there are some, if we are looking. But our, our world, just as we struggle with how do we rethink church, our world is obsessed with new, innovative. We don't go back to the source and look and mine the old. When it comes to prayer, we want to find the novel, the exciting, something that's never been done before. This prayer has been done before. But you know, this prayer isn't going anywhere. It'll be here long after I'm gone, and it's been here long before I arrived. This type of prayer also is, isn't linear. It's not a one plus one equals two. It's, it feels like you're maybe doing nothing at times. Sitting with a word or a phrase or a thought or even a passage. This type of prayer, contemplative prayer, is not something that we so much work on, but it works on us. Like I said, it's a non-redundant repetition. It's kind of circular. And I think about liturgy that way in some ways. And we keep circling back to the same things. We cycle through Scripture. Uh, The liturgical year, it goes through the life cycle of Jesus in one year. And in one sense, it seems like that's just repetition. We're just going back and forth. But actually, if you turn it on its head, it's like a coil. It's like a spiral staircase where we circle back around to the same idea or the same word or the same phrase or the same passage and we look at it again and we go deeper. We go deeper with our Lord. We see something anew or fresh. We, sing, we swing around and we go to a, a quantitatively deeper place. In fact, We call this the living word. We look at the same words. You've been there before. You, You look at these words and you've read it before. But somehow, in that moment, you haven't seen it like that before. It's the living word of God. And if it's not, this is simply a book. You know, when I tell my wife that I love her, She doesn't say, Tim, you say that all the time. You know, I I just, you're so redundant, honestly. I wish you would just think of something new to say. The Christian spiritual teacher, James Finley, says, We say I love you to our spouse because every time we say it, it recreates the possibility of rediscovering together the love that gives meaning to everything we do with each other. Non-redundant repetition. There's a quantitative, a qualitative effect to prayer. If you've committed to silence and meditation or prayer Perhaps you've, you've determined, I am going to pray this way and I'm going to carve out time to do it. Perhaps you've done that or, or you're going to decide to do it tomorrow. And you sit down to a quiet place to pray 
And what happens? You find that the business of our distracted mind, it, it doesn't politely sit outside in the hall while I have a quiet time with the Lord. We sit with grocery lists and phone calls to make and children's sporting activities and our schedules and work. Some of us are waiting around for the distractions to stop in order to actually spend time in prayer. You know, if I just could find the right environment, then I'll start praying. But we find that 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 never comes. The world that we live in is very anti-contemplation and meditation. Everything is pining for our our attention. Even, Even church. So we have to learn to sit in the midst of the distraction and still try to be present with the Lord. And that's no easy task. In fact, it takes... It takes cultivating. It's the habit of sitting there. Do you think Jesus had a few distractions when he went up to those quiet places to pray? One of the things that I've tried to do, which might help, is I try to write some things down. Sometimes if, if the distraction is so intense that I find that I cannot stop thinking about it, I, I write it down, maybe in a journal or on a note. And it's not to say that I'm calling us to remove all distractions and all the activities of our lives. Those things, I believe, are important too. But what we're saying in prayer is all of it matters, but I'll get to that. I'm here for this. I'm here for time with the Lord. So I think ultimately what we need to do is reframe and reshape the way that we maybe see prayer. Again, I was mentioning this idea of prayer not being linear. Um, I grew up in the churches of Christ, uh, and I, I read Scripture because I was supposed to. It was an act of obedience. Um, I was collecting knowledge, maybe for the Bible Bowl. It was an activity that gave me information But I never really looked at this like a love letter. Like words that God was speaking into me. I never read it in the sense that, in the sense of faith that God was personally speaking to me. And I'm not listening for information, but for how my heart recognizes God's voice speaking to me. It's like two young lovers. One has to go to a far off place overseas and they won't see each other for a time. And so they commit to each other to writing love letters. And they decide that they're going to write a letter every day so to a point where eventually the letter comes in the mail daily. And they anticipate getting the love letters. They're, They're waiting for the mail to arrive. And each day with anticipation, 
They open the letter and they read it and they pour over every word. And in his love for her, the words are beautiful. Because each word is, is an expression of the love that she has for him. I think that's Lectio Divina. And the words as she writes to him sends his mind into inner reverie. He's dreaming of the time that they will be reunited. He begins to think about what he would write to her in his next letter. It's in prayerful reading in the sincerity of God personally speaking to us. That's, I believe, what contemplative prayer is. Sarah and I, before we got married and before we were engaged, we worked. Um, she was in Dallas, Texas, and I was still in Searcy, and we would write to each other. We would email AOL, you remember that? I remember the feeling that I felt as I approached the computer to turn it on, anticipating the words that she was going to be writing to me and I to her. Is it possible for us to pray like that? For some of us, it's been a long time since we felt those feelings. It's interesting that some of the early church fathers, these mystics, they were called nuptial mystics because they had this sense that their love for God was like a marital love. That excitement of anticipating reading a letter to, from someone who loves us. Perhaps you need to think back to your own marriage or your own conversion. I remember that feeling of being strangely warmed in my heart when I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I don't always have those feelings, and I go in and out of feeling that passion and that love. But what if we approached Scripture that way? I think of the passage in Revelation where the angel says, you have forgotten you have abandoned. You have moved away from your first love. Where did that passion go? I think in prayer, we're moving towards our love. In prayer and in reading, we're moving towards God. So I want us to, to do that together for a moment. I know that this might not be the most conducive place to, to pray, in a meditative way, but perhaps it's just a place for us to start, and I challenge you this week to, to slow down, to maybe pick a passage, maybe this passage, to chew on it, to savor it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this passage, and I want you to meditate upon it. What words or phrases naturally come to your heart as I read this? Spend some time thinking about those words. Give the word to God. Thank Him for the gift of the word. I'm going to read this to you. 
Our Father in heaven, may your name always be kept holy. May your kingdom come and what you want be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the food we need for each day. Forgive us of our sins just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And do not cause us to be tempted, but save us from the evil one. The kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours forever. Amen. I'm going to read it one more time. Our Father in heaven, may your name always be kept holy. May your kingdom come and what you want be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the food we need each day. Forgive us our sins just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And do not cause us to be tempted, but save us from the evil one. The kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours forever. Amen. One of, a couple of the words that, that naturally arise in my heart are the word give us, or the phrase give us, and forgive us. In a more traditional translation, there's also the, the phrase lead us. It's a great way to pray. Give us, forgive us, lead us. Of course, there's so much imagery in give us. Of course, we're asking God to give us everything that we need, and it's also a recognition that everything that we have is given by God. But theologically speaking, it conjures up images of Israel in the wilderness, daily asking God to give them food. And they gave, they were given manna. They couldn't hoard it for themselves. They couldn't collect more than their neighbor. Every day, they started anew. There's no reason for me to collect more than you from what I, for what I have comes from God. So, God, give us today what we need. Forgive us. Again, the term, the word us. Jesus knew the word we. He, he uses us, a collective thought. Forgiving just as we forgive. It's like breathing. When we breathe, which is more important, inhaling or exhaling? We have to have to do both. It's like 
clenching our windpipe and asking for another breath. When we say, God, forgive me, but I will never forgive. And again, I'm not saying that sometimes forgiveness is easy or that it's not, it's difficult. And there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation requires two parties. But Jesus seems to think that forgiveness is something that we have to do. So this week I want to just ask you guys to take 10 minutes, 10 minutes each day to be in the Lord's presence. No agenda, no tracking your results. You don't have to make a calendar and make a check mark that you did it for today. Just childlike anticipation of being with our Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you today.